I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry from Utah's Capitol Hill to your schools, taxes, and all the breaking news. Hear it on Live Mike with Lee Lonsberry on KSL News Radio. Hey, welcome back. One thirty-eight is the time. Uh, you know that that firearm story has always got my attention. And if there is some development, uh, if there is some dramatic change in the law, that we're going to have a conversation about it here on this program. And yesterday, it was no exception, I stumbled into uh, a piece of reporting by Fox 13 here in Utah, and it looked at, at two sets of data. Number one, the the per capita background checks and the increase thereof across the country over the past year or so. And it showed, of course, as we've reported here, that that number is on the rise, that that recent rates are are incredibly high historically in terms of the per capita background checks. What Fox 13 did was they went a step further and looked specifically at that increase uh, in 2020 here in the state of Utah. Get this. In the year 2020, there were 37 background checks for every 100 Utah residents. That's 37%. If it's if it's uh you know if it's one individual, uh, thirty seven out of every hundred Utah residents uh, had a background check, and those background checks uh, were all associated with firearms purchases. That is a rate higher than anywhere else in the country by almost three times. And as if I as I have you know tried to learn more about this data, tried to learn more about what it means and why it's the case, I am left always uh, with the assumption that uh, sure, you know, uh, conservative folks are very much into uh, you know safeguarding themselves against uh, presumed or anticipated future regulations, and so. Uh, you know, as President Joe Biden took office, there may be a rush to purchase that. We've seen that historically. And that certainly accounts for a large number, maybe in the largest number, the largest proportion, proportion rather, of that increase. But I also know, I also know that first-time gun buyers must make up another pretty healthy portion of these numbers, both across the country and here in the state of Utah. I looked here in the state of Utah, scratched my head, thought, and uh, I did a little bit of research and digging and tried to find uh, individuals or groups of individuals who may make up these first-time gun buyers this past year. And that led me to uh, an individual uh, named Ermia Fanayan, who is co-founder of March for Our Lives here in Salt Lake City. Also, currently, she is the director of the Salt Lake City chapter of Pink Pistols. And uh, she joins me now on the program. Ermia, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, I- I've got to ask you, first and foremost, how do you go from uh, being the co-founder of March for Our Lives uh, here in Salt Lake City to now uh, being the owner of an AR-15 yourself? Yeah, well, you know, it was not this kind of um, easy process. 
um, you know, the years that I spent working in the gun violence prevention movement um, made me realize a lot of things. As I was, you know, lobbying and, and establishing laws and working closely with politicians, um, I, I realized that these were largely politicians who weren't doing anything about violence against um, the trans community that was continuously um, transpiring around the nation. Um, you know, we, we, we saw an, a, a continuous spike in violence against um, my community and especially towards um, working class trans women of color. And largely, the politicians who were calling to disarm people, the politicians who I was working with um, in the March for Our Lives movement, um, not only were they not doing anything about this violence, they were also the ones who were oftentimes letting these attackers off the hook. So I knew that there was something that we needed to do as a community um, to protect ourselves, because if police weren't protecting us, which we know historically they have not, um, if the state is not protecting us, which it's not, then we need to be able to protect our own communities. And that's when I came to the conclusion that we do need to arm ourselves. You are currently the director of the Salt Lake City chapter of Pink Pistols. What is Pink Pistols? Pink Pistols is an organization um, that is focused on arming uh, queer and trans people and letting the public know that we've armed queer and trans people. It started in the early 2000s, and we currently have about, I believe, um, more than 15,000 members nationwide. What, uh, what, what's the process like? What, uh, what's the emphasis on, on safety? Is there, do you have like gun experts that are advising on uh, you know, what would be an, an appropriate firearm to purchase? What are the operations of the organization like? Absolutely. We are continuously bringing in trainers and people that have these different certificates and that have been working with firearms for uh, a long time. We are continuously bringing them in to help train our members. Um, We're continuously bringing in folks to help um, teach our members about the safety of firearms and which firearms um, would be uh, the best and practical for them to carry on a day-to-day basis as well as teaching them about um, the laws uh, state by state. Um, So, yes, we are continuously working with um, uh, gun ranges. We're continuously working with trainers that have been in this work for a long time uh, to really uh, help prepare our members uh, for their uh, day-to-day lives. And if anything were to happen in the practical sense. Your your organization and the the traditional firearms enthusiasts uh, it, probably historically there wasn't much overlap uh, as as you in your organization directing pink pistols as you interact with these uh, individuals who you know for their whole lives have probably been around firearms and uh, you know have certain attitudes uh, about them H- how have those interactions been um, for the most part they've been great. Um, they're excited to see, uh, you know, new people come in and um, people who are not from the traditional, you know, Second Amendment enthusiast backgrounds finally be enthusiastic about owning and arming themselves. So the interactions have been great. Um, and a lot of these people are people who I used to, you know, um, uh, argue against sure. and people who I used to work against in, in the March for Our Lives movement when I used to be a part of that movement. 
And so it's, you know, the reaction has been great. It's been incredibly welcoming. And so I hope that this continues and I hope that people can understand, um, you know, those who are Second Amendment enthusiasts can understand that uh, this is a good thing. This is a good thing that those who want to arm themselves um, is diversifying in America. Sure. Uh, we're speaking with uh, Ermia Fanayan, who is the director of the Salt Lake City chapter of Pink Pistols. That's an LGBT gun owners uh, group. And uh, let me ask you, Ermia, did you grow up around firearms or was this was this recent purchase of yours uh, your first real exposure? This was my first real exposure. You know, nobody in my family has firearms. I'm the only one. Um, so I did not grow up around firearms by any means. Um, I had to completely put the initiative all into my own hands to learn about them, to learn about their safety, and to um, start getting trained on on firearms. So uh, I now own an AR-15, but no, I did not grow up in an mm. environment where it was AR-15 friendly. What uh, What do you remember about that first day you, you took it to the range or out to the desert, wherever you fired it the first time? The first time I fired was actually not with my AR-15. It was with other ones. Okay. But the first time I fired was, um, it was incredible. I shot uh, multiple different rifles, and I loved it. I remember the first time I saw I thought, you know, I like shooting rifles more than I like shooting handguns. Um, but it was incredibly liberating, and it was incredibly empowering. I remember when I first held um, my first gun in my hands and I was like you know this is something that I think I need to get used to uh, this is something that um, is incredibly empowering for me and it, it, it's something that can be used as an incredible tool sure uh, well listen I, I've uh, I've been very pleased to speak with you here today uh, and if you want to meet up at the range someday uh, I'd be happy to go shooting with you we could do some target shooting some plinking uh, that'd be great uh, I've got an AR-15 myself maybe we can uh, have a little competition uh, Ramia thank you so much for, for your conversation well thank you so much for having me thanks so much 100% two years ago Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport there's desperation and anguish More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.